Well, good morning. And if you're joining us online, good morning to you as well. My name is Dave Heinrichs. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you. So just encourage you uh, to come up to me after the service. It'd be great to, to get to know you. And uh, yeah, there's a couple of announcements that I need to make as well this morning. One was one of our small groups was overlooked. There is another small group that meets here on Monday evenings. Um, and if you want to learn more about that, Dave Barker leads that home group. So, and Jilly, what did I say? Oh, Wednesday morning. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. But Wednesday, you're right. You can talk to myself or you can talk to Jillian and Bruce back there who know more information about it than I do. Um, the other announcement we have is that uh, you may have seen the email that um, nominations time is coming around for uh, elders nominations. And so this is really important. And so we would just ask that you consider and prayerfully consider who uh, you would think would be... Um, good candidates to serve on our elders board. Um, you can make your nominations either online or you can submit hard copies to the church office. Uh, the deadline for nominations is, is on October 30th. And um, yeah, this is a really important role that elders serve in the church. They act as shepherds in the church alongside of the pastors. It's, they're really important in my life as they help me to, to lead and guide and pray for the church. And so I would just ask that you really prayerfully consider uh, who you would like to nominate or even you know, if somebody comes and talks to you and asks you to consider being an elder, don't easily dismiss it. I would encourage you to pray about it and consider it and what, where God is not only calling you, but where he is calling our church so that we can be a blessing to our community and how we can honor him. And we trust in him for all of these things. So we just ask all of us to just continue in prayer for uh, our nominations. Well, uh, when I was younger, I was the biggest Canucks fan. Anybody else here a Canucks fan? Just a couple people. But I was the biggest Canucks fan. Uh, particularly, I was a huge fan of their dynamic right winger, Pavel Bure, the Russian rocket. I was a huge fan. I had Pavel's poster up on my wall. I collected uh, hockey cards, but specifically Pavel Bure hockey cards. I even have a jersey at home, a signed Pavel Bure jersey that I let my youngest son wear. I tell you, I was such a Pavel Bure fan that for my grade 8 English poetry project, I even wrote a poem about Pavel Bure. And I'm going to regale that to you right now. No, just kidding. I will not do that. Um, but, you know, no matter how much faith that I had in Pavel, that how he could, like, raise the Canucks' fortunes or how much I admire his skill, particularly his, his breakaway speed and his amazing slap shot, um, it did nothing for my ice hockey game. So I didn't play hockey. I played soccer. And uh, so while I admired what Burry could do on the ice, his influence on me was minimal because I was just a fan. I was not a follower. You see, there's a significant difference in the kind of impact that someone can have on us when we actually follow in their footsteps, when we attempt to do the thing that they do, rather than just admire them from a distance. 
You see, I've seen it in students that I worked with when I was a youth and young adults pastor who actually, they would admire an athlete like LeBron James and his dominance on the court, and they would try to put into practice the things that they saw him doing, and it, and it actually improved their own basketball skills. Or during the pandemic, I had friends who wanted to um, improve their cooking skills, and they didn't just watch cooking shows, but they attempted to replicate Jamie Oliver's culinary arts in their own kitchen. And we may never achieve the same kind of success that these naturally gifted people have, but by imitating them, by attempting to do what they do, they can impact our lives in ways that, is, that are not possible if all we ever did was admire them from afar, if we never attempted to actually follow in their footsteps. And you see, the same thing holds true for us being Christians. We can be a fan of Jesus, just like I was a fan of Pavel Bure, and many people, they hold Jesus in high esteem, but despite the high approval ratings, that admiration has made little impact on their lives. But approval was not what Jesus was looking for anyways. He wasn't trying to gain popularity or make a name for himself. When Jesus came, he came to usher in the kingdom of heaven, God's reign here on earth. And the kingdom, it brings about transformation, a revolution that proclaims good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, liberation for those who are oppressed, and as Jesus proclaimed this kingdom, he also invited other people to join him, to become citizens of that kingdom and to follow him in it. And this invitation, it left people with a choice. Are you going to join in or are you just going to look on? Are you going to participate with Jesus or just be a spectator? You see, life in God's kingdom is about following not just being a fan. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, open them with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 25. Before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for the truths that we just sang about your goodness and kindness, your grace and mercy in our lives, and how you are calling each one of us with open arms to come to you where we find love, not condemnation. And I just pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 4, beginning at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as Jesus was walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, 
son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word to us this morning. Well, today we are beginning a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you might be wondering, well, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Why are we starting with a passage here in chapter 4 of Matthew? Well, this passage, it actually sets the context in which Jesus delivers that sermon. You see, the Sermon on the Mount, it forms this challenging but practical ethic that Jesus expects his followers to live by, to do things like to turn the other cheek, to love your enemy, to not judge others. But as Daryl Johnson says, it is crucial that we keep the context for the Sermon on the Mount at the forefront of our minds as we journey through Christ's words. Because if we don't keep the context at the forefront of our mind, then they can become either frustrating idealism or oppressive legalism instead of words that were meant to give life and freedom. The Sermon on the Mount are words that are meant to give us life and freedom. And today's passage, it places the Sermon on the Mount in the context of the gospel. You see, we read that Jesus came proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of heaven had come near in him. And then he issues these invitations to others to follow him living that kingdom life. So the Sermon on the Mount is for those who've already committed themselves to follow Christ, and it is his description of what life following him should look like. How a disciple in our everyday world acts because she or he is living in the presence and the power of the Spirit as citizens not of this world, but of the coming kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount describes life in God's countercultural kingdom. And that's the series that we're going to be going through. So as we listen in the coming weeks to these words of Jesus on the Beatitudes, on his thoughts about anger and divorce and money, his expectations on how his followers are to live, we need to remember that this is all spoken of in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that we've already been forgiven of our sins, that if our trust and hope are in Jesus, we already have been adopted into God's family and we have eternal life. And so the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about our transformation, not our salvation, right? It's about how we are changed by Christ and his good news. It's not some checklist of what we need to become in order to be saved. So we need to hear the Sermon on the Mount in light of the gospel. Next, we need to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in light of his proclamation that this long-awaited arrival of God's kingdom is actually, it's actually broken into our world. 
You see, the passage records the start of Jesus' ministry. And Matthew, he doesn't give us all the content of every one of Jesus' message and sermons that he teaches. Instead, he kind of sums it up saying in verse 17 that Jesus began to preach. And basically it was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what is this kingdom of heaven? Or in Mark's gospel, it's the kingdom of God. What is this? To help us understand, I've taken a little graph. I got this also from Daryl Johnson. So it starts up on the left there with creation. And when God made everything and how it was perfect, how everything was in harmony with one another. We, we talked about that all throughout our reconciliation series. It's that Hebrew word shalom. Everything was in a good relationship with everything else. And then it quickly falls apart when humanity rebelled against God. In Genesis 3, it tells the story of how we questioned the creator God's wisdom. We questioned his authority and decided to do what we wanted and to go our own way. And this is called sin and the result of this was this great fall. But that's not the end. With the fall, God begins what theologians call salvation history. You see, God has everything moving somewhere. It's not just random. It's not going in circles. But it's moving to a point in time. The point in time on the bottom right there called the day of the Lord. I have to edit my slide so that it doesn't cut things off. So that day of the Lord, that was Israel's great hope. The day of the Lord was that point in time when God would intervene, when he would bring his justice and make all things right, and then we would be ushered into a new era called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that's what we pray for when Jesus tells us, pray, let your kingdom come. But you see, the timeline didn't work out exactly as Israel anticipated it would. God interrupts things. Before the day of the Lord, at the end of time, he sent Jesus, his son, represented by the cross. And in Christ's coming, the future kingdom of God, it spills into the present, and heaven invades earth. And in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near because King Jesus is here. And Christ's coming, it inaugurates his coming kingdom. And so Jesus preaches in order to invite other people to become citizens of his coming kingdom through following him. And the Sermon on the Mount is then given to prepare those followers because it's all about how citizens of his kingdom live. You see, citizens of different places live in different ways. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's how citizens of the kingdom of heaven are to live. In Matthew 15 and 16 of this morning's passage, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in the land of darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So these two areas, Zebulun and Naphtali, they're described here um, you know, these are areas that had experienced great turmoil in their history. And for uh, the people of Israel who are currently living there, they were surrounded by people who worshipped other gods, and they were really far removed from Jerusalem, which was really the, the heart, the center of 
Jewish religious life. And so for them, they felt like these were dark places seemingly removed from both the presence and the blessing of God. Sometimes our lives can feel like that as well. We can feel far removed from God's blessing too. The last couple of weeks have felt particularly dark for me feeling like I have kind of been removed from God's blessing. My wife, she got COVID way back in August, and she has continued to suffer the effects of long COVID ever since. She's not able to come to church with me on Sunday mornings. Good friend of mine, his mom is dying of a brain tumor. Another friend, he's having relationship troubles. It feels like we are people living in darkness, living in the land of the shadow of death. And yet, the good news is Jesus, the light of life, he breaks into our darkness. You know, the kingdom of heaven, it comes near in Christ. And though it's not fully here yet, he issues us invitations to follow him out of the dark and to begin to live in the light of the kingdom of heaven. So the question he asks us, is will we follow him? Because life in God's kingdom, it's for followers and not just fans. See, being a follower, though, it's far more complicated and difficult than just being a fan. See, being a fan doesn't require much more of you than just your admiration, right? But following, it takes commitment. It takes sacrifice, Following means that you're going to go where Jesus goes. It means you're going to do the things he asks you to do. You're going to try to replicate what Jesus is doing as we apprentice him. And when I explain to people about being a Christian, I tell them, yes, it's, it's about accepting what Jesus has done for you on the, on the cross, the gift of uh, salvation and the forgiveness of your sins, but also it means submitting to him as your Lord, as the leader of your life. The one who calls the shots. And I got to tell you, this goes against everything that comes natural to me. I think it goes against everything that our society espouses, right? It preaches independence. It preaches fulfill your own dreams. You know, look out for yourself first and foremost. But to submit to somebody else's directives in your lives, not just at work, but over your entire life. That takes a total shift in thinking. It's a radical departure from our norms. It goes everything that comes naturally to us. But this is why Jesus says to us, at the beginning of his message, of his invitation, he says, repent. Repent. Repent is a beautiful word. It has gotten a bad rap because People have misused it in the past. But I love repentance. It basically means here's an opportunity. Repentance literally means think again. It means that you can turn around. It means you have an opportunity to reverse your directions. When Jesus offers you and I this invitation to repent, he's literally saying, hey, you're going your own way, but you have the opportunity to turn around and come follow me. And so repentance is grace and mercy. It's opportunity that Jesus gives to us. But we don't like hearing repent. We like hearing Jesus loves us, Jesus saves us. We like hearing he accepts us. And 
We should. He does all of those things. But we don't like hearing, turn from going your own way. Or turn from your sins. When we hear someone speak about that, we can get our backs up. Perhaps we can feel like they're being legalistic or judgmental and not loving or kind. You know, as I mentioned before, I was a youth pastor for many years. And I remember uh, this one church, the first church I was a youth pastor at, this, this mom, she had some kids who were particularly rebellious. So she was quite concerned. And one morning, she literally grabbed me by my shirt and she said, Dave, I need you to save my children. And like, I know that I can't do that, right? Only Jesus saves. But I know what she meant. I I knew that she meant that I could try and help them to follow Jesus. And so that was my, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do my best. And so I would tell her children about how much Jesus loved them. I would show them in the Bible about how he died for them. And then I would teach them about how, if we're going to follow Christ, how we go about doing that. And that would include things like encouraging them to do things that Jesus wants them to do. Like being kind and forgiving and generous. But I would also encourage them not to do the things Jesus doesn't want us to do. Things like for her kids in particular, it was like partying and getting drunk or fighting with other kids. Or even I called them out on being disrespectful to their mom. But yet this part of leading her children, it struck a nerve with her. You see, though she wanted me to lead her children in the way of Jesus, any time that I would talk to them about their behavior, she would call me legalistic. She desperately wanted Jesus to be their savior. But having Jesus be the Lord of their lives, she thought this was going to make it less likely that they would actually follow him. And so she was doing her best to hedge her bets, to get them in, to get them saved. And I get it. You know, in the past and I'm sure in the present too, that preachers and pastors, they have swung way too far. They forgot about grace and mercy. But you see, Jesus' proclamation of the good news is that believing and repenting, these go hand in hand, right? That life in God's kingdom, it requires faith in Christ and turning from your own ways and following his. You know, despite their mom's fears, the good news was her children didn't see the love of God and obedience as incongruent. The children didn't see that. And like most, they continued to struggle through their teenage and young adult years. But the good news is that they experienced that, oh, Jesus's ways are actually good and they are faithfully following Jesus now, right? And if you and I are going to experience the spiritual vitality that Jesus wants each one of us to have too, then if we want all the life that the kingdom of God has to offer us, then we're going to need to incorporate some turning from ourselves in our own lives. We're going to need to practice repentance too. In 1 John 1.9, the apostle writes, If we confess our sins, ah, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins And he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's one of the difficult things about being a follower and not just a fan, is that we need to turn from ourselves and to follow him. 
I think the second thing that makes being his follower a whole lot harder than just being a fan is it requires sacrifice. Verse 18 to 22 says that Jesus, he called Peter and Andrew, James and John to follow him. It says, at once, Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed. And then immediately, James and John, they left the boat and their father in order to follow Jesus. Now, this wasn't some spur-of-the-moment decision uh, made by these guys as we can read it. Most commentators believe that uh, they had already decided up to a year earlier to follow Jesus. And so they had known him for a while now. And that this wasn't just some sort of like quick call Jesus makes to them, but this summons that Jesus gives for them to follow was a call to these specific guys to a certain task, a job that Jesus has for them. But we also see in their response this willingness that they had to let Jesus not only be the Lord, to call the shots, but that they were also willing to sacrifice. You see, following Jesus like this meant sacrificing jobs that they knew really well, that they had trained their whole life for. Jobs that probably had a certain level of secure income and for a couple of them, it meant leaving their father. And perhaps this meant for these apostles sacrificing some family relationships and, or at least some family expectations and obligations to carry on the family business. But obedience and sacrifice, these are required for all of those who would follow Christ. And so if you choose to follow Jesus, it means placing his priorities ahead of your own ahead of your own lifelong ambitions, your dreams, you know, placing it ahead of your own desires, it might actually even mean saying goodbye to some of these things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But he also said, whoever loses their life for me will find it. They will find life. They will find life, great life, abundant life. And this life to be found is why we need to keep the gospel in mind as we go through Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount because God's kingdom, that is where real life is to be found. Joyful life, life in abundance. That's what Jesus promises us. But again, God's kingdom is for followers, not just fans. So how do we go from being a fan to becoming a follower of his? Some of us excuse the sports analogy, to continue it. But we just need to get off the bench and we just need to actually just start following, right? For some of us, it's time to stop being a poser, a pretender, a fan, whatever you want to call it, and to actually become this active pursuer of life following Jesus. Perhaps this means that you just need to commit yourself to following him for the very first time. Or for many of us, maybe we become a little stagnant in our faith and we need to recommit ourselves to following him. It doesn't matter how many times we've done this. There's no time to do it like today. But maybe you're following Jesus 
and they're, you know, you're doing your best to follow them, but you know that there's an area in your life where you're not being obedient, where you haven't been willing to sacrifice because the cost seems too much. It's inconvenient, or maybe it's even painful. You're scared of what it might cost you. Maybe it's serving somewhere in the church. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's joining a small group like we heard this morning. Perhaps it's helping a neighbor at home or a coworker out. God has been calling you to do something, but you're a little fearful of what it's going to take in order to do that. But Jesus' promise to us is not only that he will go with us by his spirit to help us, but that he also promises to reward us more than we can imagine with abundant life. Finally, I think a big part for each one of us following Jesus and not just being a fan, it has to do with confession. Jesus' words of invitation were repent, right? Turn from going your own way. Come and follow me, right? Taste and see that my way is good, but you've got to turn around. You've got to stop going your own way. And so in order to do that, we have to repent. And I think a big part of that is confession. I think they go hand in hand. And the Bible tells us that, you know, we can always come to God with our confession, with our repentance. And though we can always do that, I think it's super important in the life of a Christian to have one or two trustworthy people in your life that you can confess to. I think it's essential. People that we can have to encourage us, to pray for us, who will understand us. I think it's essential for following Jesus, and far too few of us are the ones who have these kinds of relationships. But it takes, it takes risk. It takes going and asking someone. It takes being vulnerable, and these things are hard. But this is where true life is found. And this is part of, I think, what's required of us to get off the bench and not just be a fan, but to be a follower. James 5, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is part of what Jesus has to offer each one of us, is healing, forgiveness, and abundant life. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your loving kindness towards each one of us. I thank you that coming to you, it's, it's not just, the, we don't just have a one-time opportunity, but that you are so full of grace and mercy uh, that your outstretched arms are open to us again and again and again. Forgive me for the times where, where my faith uh, has, has grown cold and been stagnant but thank you for giving me the opportunity to confess and to come back and follow you once again. And I just pray this morning that for each one of us that we would recommit our hearts and our lives to following you. Help us not to be fearful of whatever it costs us, but to, that we can be courageous knowing that your spirit goes with us and that you will help us to overcome whatever obstacles stand in our way. I just thank you for the promise of abundant eternal life that you hold out for us, not just someday, but for today, that it is a quality of life uh, where we are in the fellowship of believers and that your spirit is with us, um, yeah, that we can't find anywhere else. 
Where can we go but to you to find the words of life? Thank you for your love for us. Help us to to follow you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.